good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are joining us today. Welcome to episode six, the final episode of season one of the S1 Tom Chat. Uh, today I am joined by two, uh, well, I would say InfoSec professionals. One's a complete poser, as you can tell by the way he's stroking his beard, and the other one doesn't take anything serious whatsoever. Um, and also, as you can probably tell, my good friends, mentors, colleagues, people I really don't know why I trust them at all, but we have uh, Mr. Andrew Agnes and Mr. Javad Malik, who between the three of us, we make the host unknown trio that you may or may not have heard about. If you haven't, links in the show notes. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Always a pleasure, Tim. Big fan of your work. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for having us. <laughs> and there, there is the relationship all in one. I mean, Andy was, you know, we, this is actually the second time we tried to record this because yesterday Andy was just sat back in his chair going, I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying. I don't know. What is this all about? Nobody told me anything. I, you know, I literally get a meeting request with a link to click on. I turn up and you guys are sitting there recording. <laughs> So, so you got a random email with a link and you clicked on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And this is why Andy. This is why Andy, you, you'll be so so well positioned in the position of an exec because, like, you know, you're just too busy to do any research. You're too busy to turn up to any of the pre-calls, but then you turn up and you complain about why why you don't know what's going on. I mean, there he is. Look, sit, sitting back in his his faux leather executive chair with his, you know, pink shirt on. That's 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 like a executive leader right there. Right? There's a lot of hate going on in this call. I'm feeling some venom. <laughs> I've clearly upset someone, and I need to understand why. How can I make this right? <laughs> what questions? Um, concentrate and deliver. What can I say? Um, anyway, so the, the the working title we had for this for this session was levity, humour, and fun in information security. And you know, I, hopefully, anybody who knows us, who's, who's met us uh, at a conference, you know, very rarely, maybe once, maybe twice a year, up until recently, of course, uh, we would actually get together in person, all three of us together. It was quite a rare occurrence. in the before times. In the before yeah. four times, that's right, <laughs> and. Um, <clears throat> But anybody who knows us know that we, um, you know, we've, we've known each other for quite a few years. I think, when was it, 2012, I think we first met each other. Something like that. Um, and uh, uh, 2013, Host Unknown was founded. We still argue over who's the sole founder. I'm not going into that. Um, not after yesterday's debacle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's it's worth pointing out. In, in so episode two of the show, I was chatting to Jim Shields, a mutual friend of ours, and said, you know, he said security isn't funny, but it can be fun, right? And I think that's the point here is what we do in Host Unknown, for instance, is to try and cut away all of that serious, overt seriousness, the brevity, and actually bring it down to something, messages that m make people want to learn more, you know, and actually have some fun with it. Because frankly, given that as an industry, we're measured by failure half the time, it's, it's, it's quite a tough and depressing place to work sometimes <laughs> yeah and you can see you can pretty much take any topic uh in the security industry and you can just tweet an opinion on it 
and just watch two <laughs> two sides of the fence argue about it, you know, for the next three days. It, it, you know, it's so volatile. You can just light the torch paper and step back, uh, which is why I think, you know, we have tried to address, you know, some common topics, uh, you know, in the industry, certification, risk acceptance, um, you know, fishing uh, scams like that. You know, we try and do it in the only way that, we Christmas is yeah Christmas you know the only way that you know is acceptable to everyone which is parody gangster rap you know so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> parody gangster rap it's a whole subgenre look it up <laughs> it's um, I mean it's it's it, it's so true isn't it and and Jav I know that you know before before we'd even met you'd obviously made uh, a name for yourself on YouTube making. Um, you know, not if not laugh out loud videos per se, they're not not exactly jokes, them, but very light hearted, but with a serious message to them, a serious under 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 undertone to them, um, to the point where even you know um, uh, TV stations picked up on a couple of your videos about cryptography and things like that, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. So I think there was two two types of videos that I was I was doing. One was the more outward facing ones where I would try to take a security concept and think, well, how would a, a traditional YouTuber explain this in an engaging way? So something like cryptography, how do you explain that? SQL injection, how do you explain that? Uh, you know, just in a fun way with lots of jump cuts and sketches woven in and what have you. And and the other side was pro- probably something that we as hosts are known as perfected is that more inward looking to the industry and saying, okay, how can we call out the absurdness of something without calling out the absurdness of something? It sounds like a TikTok challenge, doesn't it? It's, but, uh, but, but the whole thing. <laughs> Tell I me mean, you're absurd without telling me you're absurd. Yeah, it, it's like the first video that I, that really went viral, for lack of a better term, was the one I done about CISP, and I was like, you have a wallet, and you and you CISP, <laughs> you know, it's like. And, and what it was, it was, it was an attempt to say this is how ridiculous sometimes people take their certifications. They they make out like now they have this, they are now some Billy Big Balls kicking down doors and you know rappelling down the side of buildings kind of thing. And, and that really resonated with people because rather than addressing it in a manner that traditionally some people in our industry do is like tweet out, I think certifications are useless. I would never hire anyone with a CISP and then hit send and to Andy's point, people then argue about it for three days. Uh, this sort of like, it was hopefully non-offensive to anyone that holds the point, but it held up a mirror kind of thing. And I think that's where humour really plays its part. And I think you kind of got lucky on that in that uh, ISC Squared embraced it, didn't they? And you, you kind of became the poster child for them. <laughs> well, you know, I think they, they saw the, the reaction to it and they... They jumped on the coattails to uh, to ride that. Way. <laughs> we'll have some of that. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's funny because because they invited me to come and speak at their member reception at IC Squared Congress in Philadelphia, like after that video, like a year or so after. And I got an email from Amanda, who used to work there. She actually works with me now uh, in my current job. We often laugh about it, but she sent me a, a, an email saying, "We really love your video. Do you mind if we play it at the member reception?" And would you be interested in coming along and doing giving a, a short talk? And my immediate response was, okay, but number one, 
you promised me this is not a ruse just to get me to the US so you can like arrest me and sue me for copyright infringement or something. <laughs> <laughs> you really are employed by IC Squared. You, 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 you give me all these guarantees. And she laughed and she said, yeah, 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 we, we absolutely, this is like totally legit. Because I was genuinely like, nah, there's no way a big corporation me. like IC Square would, would embrace something like that. But they did. Uh... But what was interesting is that the 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 popularity of of the CIWSP as as it then became known, right, uh, as a qualification, it actually took a bit of a beating, you know. And not that long after that video, it kind of the popularity went down in the sense that everybody was there was a there was a whole stage of people burning their CIWSP certificates on the stove, one and stuff like that. <laughs> No, there was a, more than one. There was a, there was a bunch of them. I'm sure. There was just one, five. and his picture got... <laughs> it got reused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that one image got reused by every. They were just cheapskates didn't want to repay their AMS. That was a bomb. Well, yeah, that's you, right. you know what? There, there's there, there's two. When, when you look at the industry, there's the industry, and then there's the community. And the community have always been very vocal. They're the people that go to conferences and spend their time on Twitter. And they've always been very vocal and commodity and like like critical of everything. And that's not represented. If you look at the the membership numbers, they've consistently gone up year after year, especially since IC Squared have done a great job of making it a mandatory requirement if you want to work in uh, like DOD or anything like that or or what have you. so it's it's uh, AOL marketing tactics of the old days. <laughs> exactly. Oh dear. But but the first um, parody gangster rap video that we did was in was in somewhat of a response to that community um, feeling towards the ISC squared, and it, and it kind of celebrated it somewhat. Um, but I think it was it yeah, was it's almost different things to different the timing people, was it? perfect. Is what sorry? But uh, you know the certification means different things to different people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not a one-dimensional thing. It's a it's a multifaceted thing. There's nothing wrong with qualifications. They're a good way of measuring commitment and measuring your ability to onboard and synthesize and and process information and retain important facts and stuff like that. And also know where to look for things. But it was. You know, I think as an industry, though, the industry took it in entirely the wrong direction. So (laughs) ordinarily, I'd argue with you for the sake of arguing with you, but I'm in agreement with you on this one. (laughs) (laughs) What? You, you, You mean our entire friendship is based on you just... Arguing with me for the hell of it. I just like try. I just like drilling for a nerve and just wait. (laughs) Once I get it. (laughs) Oh man! But you make that's a that's a good point to segue actually because you know there's there's uh, all of my memories of of working with you guys is about laughing mostly, mostly (laughs) laughing until 2019 when Andy didn't like the the way the song was coming together that we found. You know, that, that, that was, then the that real was Andy came out. <laughs> exactly. That 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 was less laughter, more visceral hatred. But um, <laughs> but why 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 do you think humour is so effective? You know, and certainly for you know for 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 basically three random blokes getting together in into a room and just disagreeing with each other. 
why, why is humour effective as a way of getting that message across? What did Jim say in episode two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what he said. Yeah, what he said. Because he's very intelligent and he, he can articulate this stuff a lot better than I could. Uh, but I think it's yeah. just that shared, um, you know, humour is one of those things that is a shared emotion, um, you know, that, that crosses borders and, you know, language doesn't have to be that you can find, you know, different people in different areas can find the same thing amusing. Uh, and it does sort of just bring yeah. you together in that manner, um, you know, which is what I mean, I love, love uh, humour in anything serious, um, you know, especially when it's really serious yes. and it makes you think, did he just do that? You know, <laughs> in this really sit- yeah. serious situation. The, the gallows humour stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It, 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 a lot of it is, uh, in my opinion, it's about engagement. It's like, how do you engage with someone that they remember the interaction or, or they, 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 they find it memorable or, or they adopt something as a result? And for that, humor is kind of like universally a, a good way. You can go about different ways. You can use sort of like dramatic or fear or you can use all these other things which, which kind of like evoke an emotional response. But humor is kind of like the, the way that it's, it's, it, it leaves people feeling good about themselves and it's... Uh, and it's memorable. I mean, that's why you, you know you could probably uh, relate a um, a joke you saw at a stand-up comedian mate from ten years ago, or a friend told you a, a funny joke, uh, or an in- or a funny incident happened, and you can recall that down to the last detail. Like he was wearing a red shirt, and you know, with green dots on it, and because of that, someone's and and it's just something you remember, but. If you try to remember a presentation from last week that was given internally at work, you'd struggle to even remember what the title was. Uh, if anything, you remember some of the bad points because in your mind you're making a joke like, look, his fonts don't even match or, you know, something like that. Uh, it's, uh, and so that's why I think it's, it's important. <laughs> I feel attacked with that last comment. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the quality of Andy's show notes for our Host Unknown podcast is shocking. Shocking, I tell you. So when, when isn't humour effective? When should we not be using humour? When, you know, you must have, you know, obviously not with the three of us, but when have you seen it fail horribly? <laughs> At funerals, normally. Um. <laughs> Although to be fair, there are some events like you know that that guy that said he's going to have a, a band playing, um, you know, the tune to Pop Goes the Weasel at his funeral, and he's just going to wait for everyone's eyes you know, as it builds up to the chorus as they start looking at the coffin to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's all about the delivery. I think I'm you know. I think more you can... Oh, info set related. Oh, okay, yeah, no. Uh, so I think, um, <laughs> the, you know, the only time it's probably not appropriate is if you are communicating that you have had a breach and you're talking to the people that are impacted in that breach. You know, so that's right. probably a bad time to, yeah. to try and crack jokes in that notification. Um, but, you know, in terms of other areas, I think yeah, it's quite or, a fair Or game. if you're blaming them for the breach. Oh yeah, or oh, yeah, yeah. joke. Yeah. yeah, joking about the intern being responsible. Yeah, yeah. Or that that uh, fintech company in India that that said um, all those records that are up on uh, on GitHub or whatever, 
those millions of records containing loads and loads of uh, you know fields and data. Well, our own customers could have put them there. But nothing to do with us. I mean, if that was a joke, that was a really bad joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think oh, I think you're dear. right. There, so, there's there there are lots of times where humor is not appropriate, but um, in in many cases, especially internally, when you when you're dealing with stuff at work and what have you, uh, things can get quite pressurized at a time. And humor is a really good release valve to kind of deflate some of that tension and get people down to a level where they can communicate uh, with with slightly cooler heads at that point. Uh, and so, you know, it, you have to think about how to de-escalate situations rather than everyone going into a frenzy, which is uh, which happens quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. And certain degrees of that humour can, can really help on that de-escalation. And actually, it, it also helps create good, strong relationships as well. If you If you have a shared, enjoyable experience... And one that you can potentially repeat. That that's that's a good way to to build relationships, right? Yeah, it makes people feel part of something. You know, when they know what's coming, or they're in on the joke, or yeah. you know, and that's where I think slapstick. You know, as an old genre, it was so successful at the time because everyone knew what was coming. Uh, you know, and they knew what the punchline yeah. was going to be, but they're on that journey to getting to that punchline. So um, and. And the protagonist, it it, the, it was the protagonist who was the butt of the joke, yeah. not the innocent bystander per se, not the you know the the, the small kid crossing the street or or whatever. It, it was it was the idiot protagonist, um, and you know to the to to the to the people who say that you know host unknown is just a rip off of Top Gear, for instance. Yes, you're absolutely right because um, you know the. The joke is always focused on the presenters, right? The joke is always about how stupid they are or what stupid thing they have done or what odd opinion or silly joke or whatever that they've said. It's never about the people around them. Yeah, and I think we do try and avoid targeting specific people. Uh, you know, no, I mean, in, Jav, Jav sort of crosses that line occasionally, <laughs> insulting guests. Yeah, I mean, going after <laughs> guests, family members, that's... Uh, <laughs> You know. That's low, even for Jav. You know. yeah. <laughs> what episode was that? Was that episode forty-six? I think. You know, if anybody wants to go back and look. <laughs> so let's let's go back a little bit. Um, you know, I, I've I've known you both since you know, like what did I say, twenty twelve, something like that. Um, and known you both as like infosec people, and you've you know, well, although Jav's changed jobs like his underwear, and Andy, you've pretty much been at the same company. Um, well, I think second company. Since... Second company. Oh, second. Yeah. This is your second company <laughs> since leaving school, right? Um, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, which was eight but... years ago. Yeah, yeah, eight years. It's took. <laughs> I've aged well, prematurely. You know, what? <laughs> that you've got the CISO haircut. I'm telling you, <laughs> recovering CISO haircut. So, what what was it that actually got you into information security? Because certainly, you know, back in the two thousands, it wasn't really a a career choice per se um, that you could go to university for, even sort of late nineties or whatever. So, what was it that got no. you into into infosec in the first place? Andy just so, heard that if he was in the infosec department, he could look through everyone's personal folders on their shared drive. <laughs> <laughs> I was an IT admin at the Trust time. Me, you... I could already do that. that was... <laughs> exactly. I was going to say you only need to be an IT admin. Even I knew that. Yeah. So switch I, I, logging I used... off. 
<laughs> I used to have quite a long train journey into the office um, when I was working at a big corporate. Like my first big real or second real big job was big uh, American corporate. And um, I used to travel into the office from like down in Kent, like big long train journey. I used to do a lot of reading on books. And there's kind of a whole load of things that occurred at the same time. Um, so Amazon launched uh, around, you know, the, the late 90s and, and sort of like around 1999. Uh, I was yeah. getting books off Amazon um, and I don't know how I got into it, but uh, I read a book called uh, Information Warfare and Security by, at then it was Dr. Dorothy Denning, uh, now Professor Denning. Um, and it had a foreword by Wynne Schwarto, who I believe is one of Jav's colleagues these days. Um, and it just really yeah. got me interested in security. They talked about how hackers... Um, you know, broke into credit reference companies, um, TRW, Equifax, and got records for Molly Ringwalter, um, you know, at the time, you know, to, to look her up. And there's this whole genre that just really interested me, fascinated me about, you know, what occurred and how they did that. Um, and then from there, I got on to, you know, The Cuckoo's Egg by Clifford Stoll, um, The Hacker Crackdown. Uh, and then I went to my first DEF CON yeah. in 99, <laughs> DEF CON 6. Um, and it was just fun, you know, and it was a combination of my age, a topic I really enjoyed, um, you know, the, the access to the information at the time, but also at DEF CON, the gamification of, you know, learning, you know, you got the hacker jeopardy in the evening, you know, they're combining drinking with, you know, quizzes about hackers and technical knowledge and security knowledge, um, you know, the in-between talks, you know, to, to keep you there, you've got the spot, the Fed competitions, um, and so for me, it's like a whole combination of things yeah. came together at the right time, at an age where I was enjoying, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, the alcohol helped a lot, uh, you know, to keep my interest. Uh, and it just kind of drove me on from there. And, you know, from then you had the conferences, the, the good times of the dot-com era, um, you know, the parties. And, uh, it wasn't until, you know, that bubble burst that uh, reality sort of set in that, you know, this is actually a serious thing. Yeah. Yeah, and you can make some money from it as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's obviously also a good drive. I think you know, certainly in the early two thousands, there's a lot of um, IT resource coming from other countries. Uh, you know, where people were prepared to to mm. work for you know lower salary. You know, it's big. All big companies were, were looking at ways of reducing their costs. Uh, you know, and they knew that they could get rid of the these internal people that were costing them an arm and a leg, and uh, replacing with people with a higher work ethic for half the cost. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that um, Cuckoo's Egg book, my, my grandmother read that first and then gave me the book. Wow. And that was one of my very first experiences of, yeah. of listening to it. And I always remember in one of the on one of the chapters and bottom of one of the pages is his mother's cookie recipe. Uh, that my grandmother then recreated, um, you know, because she she liked the look of it. And so I, all, all I remember is that book and cookies. You but know, again, engaging kind of content. Ironic. You know, he told a story yeah. about how security he, was focused. It's a story, exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. You know, and it was there was humor in it as well, humor and humility and all that sort of stuff. Everything that we we've just been talking about, but more importantly, that story that was that was woven through it. So, Jav, you know, apart from taking down, you know, major banks' uh, internal systems, what was it that really? Um, drew you to the information security world. learning how to cover his own tracks when he makes mistakes yeah. <laughs> self-preservation the only reason i mention it 
is that you've you've already declared this on our po- on our host unknown podcast. So you know it's public property. <laughs> so um, I've done a sandwich degree where like you go to university for two years, you do a one year work placement, then you go back and finish your degree. And uh, during that one year work placement, it was just like you're given this big directory and say, here's some companies, contact them to see if you there's a there's a work placement for you. So I contacted like, you know, about three, four hundred companies from it, got three interviews, uh, one job offer uh, for, for the year. And that was in the IT security team for a, for a, for a bank. And I had no idea what IT security was. Um, it was it was pretty basic. Um, you know, at that time, it was mainly system administration, setting up accounts, resetting passwords, giving them access, um, you know, checking checking audit logs yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. So, so I mean, I just got into the industry because, so after my work placement, they offered me a permanent job. They said, go back, finish your degree and then come back and you've got a permanent job with us. So I was like, fantastic. That's one less thing to worry about in life. And I thought nothing more of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, after that, I... Um, uh, I was working there for a few years and I think the first penny drop was when I was in a meeting one time. It was like one of these project meetings and uh, they were like talking about this new system and design and everything. And they, they were great because you spend half a day there, have free tea, biscuits and what have you. And then you, you'd be like, I've been busy for the day. But um, it was during one of these <laughs> meetings that, that the project manager turned around to me and says, so what does security think about this? And <laughs> you know when you just almost choke on the on the rich tea that you just dumped in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was exactly what it was. It was a meerkat moment. It was. Um, <laughs> of course, I, I I was really impressed with how expertly deferred with the, that it depends and let me check on the policy with you because it's recently been updated, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be the X, Y, Z. Uh, but it got me thinking, wow, this thing actually has an impact. Uh, it's actually being you know, higher profile than what, what it ever had been in the past. Um, so, so that really got me uh, far more interested in it. Uh, and then joining Twitter in, in the late 2000, uh, like, sort of like 2009, I think, or, or something, um, I really got introduced to the wider community. I'd never been to the States. I'd never been to DEF CON or anything like that. But that really introduced me to a lot of the community and a lot of the people in it. And I thought, wow, there are so many cool people in the industry, far more interesting than the boring colleagues I have at work who, who don't, who just clock out at five o'clock. There are people that actually, you know, understand this and, and work on it after hours. It. Yeah, they live this, exactly. Um, and then I, I started yeah. my YouTube channel and then I got fully embedded within the, the industry, the community and, you know, got to know a lot of people i think that that's how i got to know andy who, who's who's now denying all knowledge of, of, of knowing him but that, that's how i got to know andy and he is, uh, isn't it? yeah and we, we we met at um you know and uh you know it, it sort of like formed lots of friendships that i i maintain to to the day so that's how i got into the industry and that's what keeps yeah. me in the industry yeah absolutely absolutely and i think yeah, many of us kind of do do sort of fall into it by accident as well. It's not, you know, certainly it was never a, a wholly conscious decision in of itself, right? It was just a uh, almost a logical next step or somebody says this problem needs fixing, go do it. And I think that's that's not uncommon at all. So, Andy, has your package been delivered? It has. 
Right, yeah, just, just making that. sure. Dang. I mean, it's, it's a working from home, home thing. <laughs> I know, I know, right? You know, this is a live podcast, but hey, it's fine, Andy. You do, you do, you. <laughs> so we're we're coming to the to the last few minutes of 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 the uh, of, of the episode, and you know, Andy, you're still you're you're a practitioner at the moment. You you work in you know, you, well, risk management ultimately is is what it comes down to. I don't want to, I, I I don't want to sort of. Um, give the game away as to exactly what you do because I'm not even sure you know that but um you know and Jav you've definitely been the practitioner but you know uh you you certainly moved to the more sort of um how can I put it marketing side of things you're a, you're a, a, an advocate for no before you did a similar role before that I've just moved into that role from being a CISO and a consultant so we've all had experience at you know at the coalface as it were what do you think, you know, any CISOs or any heads of security listening today, what do you think, you know, what should they be taking away from listening to this conversation and changing in order to, um, well, in order to succeed a bit more? Uh, so don't hire us, hire people that are going to do the work. <laughs> yeah. Key takeaway. Um, no. yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely diverse hiring because, you know, <laughs> this isn't it. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I would always say, you know, there's, you know, as a, if I was to advise a CISO, I'd say you only have to worry about two things. You know, you, you can break everything down, just worry about two things. Um, everyone that works for you and everyone that doesn't work for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you start from there, you can build in your, you can build in the uh, the controls you need to to support that. Sound sage advice, Andy. Thank you. I am. Um, I may not be employed. You know, half an hour after this episode goes live. But... Cool. That's so good. So to, to channel Steve Farmer, I'd say communication, 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 communication. Um, yes. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we sometimes security becomes so entrenched in the, in the technicalities of what we can do. We, we don't stop to explain to people uh, the value of it or how it's increasing it. Um, so many times, you know, it's, it's, it's some Royal Mail nearly went bankrupt uh, uh, several years ago when they tried to increase the efficiency of next day first class delivery uh, from 92%. They wanted it to go up to 98%. So 92% of their first class letters were delivered the next day. But they said, no, we need to up it to 98%. And they nearly bankrupted themselves in the process. And they, at one point down the process, someone said, have you actually asked people what their perception is as how many first class letters actually get delivered the next day? Said, well, no, we haven't. So I said, why don't you just go out and do a survey of people, say, like, what percentage of letters do you think get delivered next day if they've got a first class stamp on it? And the average response that came back was uh, 64%. People thought that only 64% of the letters they delivered, uh, they posted first class, were delivered the next day. And so it came down to if all they had done was communicate that 92% of their letters were delivered the next day, 
without actually investing in infrastructure or anything by just simply communicating what they were doing they would have you know increased their their value in the eyes of the the, the public who use the service and i think that's a very good takeaway for CISOs out there it's uh, sometimes you worry about the five nines too much or, or you worry about certain uh, certain other metrics um I'd say focus on communicating what you do or you do, because I'm sure you do a lot of great stuff that people don't appreciate. So we can say that exactly. controls are actually effective at least 92% of the time. You know, so we do get hacked 8% of the week. But the good news is you think it's a lot more. <laughs> You're right. It's all about communication. <laughs> you know what? That's a message you want to communicate for people that do work for you. And then the people who don't work for you, you've got a different message you want to communicate. <laughs> It's it's a it's a good point, especially when you look at you know, as a as an industry and as a profession, it's measured on failure, right? We you know we're we're in the news when things go wrong and when we're hacked, etc. But actually, there's a huge amount of work that actually you know leads up to the fact of us not being attacked, etc. So the communication of the things that you are doing and the successes that you have done will hopefully kind of um, you know sort of snowball into greater success rates in the future as people become more appreciative and understand what it is that you're doing rather than where well, you're just sitting in your office drinking tea while people are hacking us left, right and centre. Yeah, well, that's the thing. As defenders, you have to be right 100% of the time, you know, whereas attackers can only have to be lucky once, uh, you know, to, to get yeah. in. But, you know, the defending yeah, you know, I really hate that quote. That's such a poor really? quote. <laughs> I, what, that, what, that applies. So, yeah, what's yeah. Wrong with it that works quote? for Andy every time. Yeah. He's kept his job. Sixty percent of the time, it's wrong. Hundred percent of the time, yeah. So, <laughs> so I think that 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 applies if everything is is as a silo. If every organization and every security control operates as a silo, but when you have things like threat intelligence and when you have sharing and when everything. A, a attacker only has to trip up once or trigger one thing and you can actually secure not just yourself but everyone else in that ecosystem so i think it, it it's not as as so lopsided as that quote makes it out to be i think that was true in the terms of the ira trying to bomb maggie but i think in cybersecurity, it's a often uh ill ill representation <laughs> of the reality <laughs> That's, that's an interesting that's, example. I might have to take legal advice on no, that. No, that's that's where the quote came from. That is where the quote came from. It's it's when uh, IRA they oh, tried is it to really yeah yeah they tried to bomb uh, Margaret in, Thatcher in, in the hotel and she wasn't there. Some other notable MPs were injured yeah. in that, and they wrote a letter in saying right. that you were lucky this time. Yeah. yeah. So, so we only have to be lucky ah, once. So you have to be lucky every time. It actually came from the IRA. Yeah, yeah, wow. which explains I, a lot. Seeing that uh, like Andy's half lesson. Irish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably his uncle <laughs> that Andy's wrote the letter. Things, as I understand, <laughs> yeah. up the rock. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I have no political oh. affiliation. God, I'm never getting. <laughs> I'm going to stop it here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much for your stories, your insight, and for your trying to get me fired. Much appreciated. Um, Jav, thank you so much for your time. Please stop clicking on your keyboard. It's really noisy. Um, and uh, Andy, thank you very much for your time too.
gentlemen. Stay secure, thank my you, friends. And, uh, Stay secure, my friends. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed uh, the first season of the S1 Top 10. Bye-bye. Hopefully you enjoyed the first season of the S1 Tom Chat more than we did recording it. We can't guarantee the quality of next season, but we do know that Tom will try his best. Stay, Stay secure, secure, my friends. friends.